Amen. If you would find Matthew chapter 7, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a season of life when the Lord has just laid a song on your heart, and you just listen to it, and you 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 listen to it, and and that song that Taylor sang uh, has been that song for me uh, back in the fall when when uh, my health was uh, messed up and we didn't know what it was looking like and things like that. I bet I've listened to this song 10,000 times. And to hear her sing it in person was better than all 10,000 that I could find on the internet. And uh, the words of that song are just so precious. Right? The Lord take my hand. I don't know if you've ever felt that way or not, but if you've ever come to a point in your life when you're thinking, Lord, I, I don't know where to go, what to do, what to say, what to think, to be led by the Lord. It's a precious thing. It's a special thing. And tonight I want to talk to you from Matthew chapter 7 about don't let things get you off course. I didn't bring my phone up here with me tonight, but if I was to ask you a simple question, I want to see how honest most of you are. If you have ever texted while driving, would you just raise your hand for a moment? Sinners. <laughs> if you have ever talked on the phone while driving, would you raise your hand? Sinners. But uh, as you now know in Illinois, if phone in hand means, have you seen the saying yet? Ticket in the other. Why is that? You had money, but it also distracts. I don't know how many times I'll be driving through town, and I'm guilty, and I'll see somebody like this. <laughs> Sitting at an intersection, right? You can see up through their back window, they're watching something on Netflix, and you're like, it's green! And the Jesus in you is coming out just a little bit, you know. Peace, be still. And as they don't move, you're going, I don't want to honk. I really don't want to curse. Please let them go. And it is distracted driving. How many times, if, if, if I asked uh, Greg from his many years uh, in serving as a state police officer, he had to come up on an accident that was caused by distracted driving. And tonight I want you to know that Satan wants to distract you from the things that God wants to be important. You see, Satan doesn't always want to make you sit down and quit. Sometimes he just wants to get you off course enough that you are focused on things that don't really matter. And as we come here in Matthew chapter 7, last week we looked at praying and believing, trusting God's response, and that we should imitate God in prayer and how we treat one another. But tonight I want to just continue on through this chapter, verse by verse, and tonight I hope that if you have kind of lost track of the important things, that you'll refocus, that you'll step back and say, what has become important to me? What's become important to my family? What's become important to us as a church? And hopefully, tonight we can leave here knowing that we are headed in the right direction with our eye 
on the prize. And so if you would, pray with me tonight, and we're going to jump right in. Father, as always, I thank you for your love and care for us. And Lord, I'm just so thankful that you treat us so much better than we could ever deserve. Father, I thank you that even on our best days, Lord, we are just sinners saved by grace. So, Father, tonight I ask forgiveness, not if, but, Lord, when I sin. So, Father, tonight I pray that you would remove all obstacles in my life, in my mind, and in my heart that would hinder what you're wanting to do in this place tonight. And, Father, I pray that you'd save in this building tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen the faith of your people And, Lord, we would leave here today with a clearer picture of what you want for us in our service to you. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, if you're taking notes tonight, please write this down. Salvation is our focus. Salvation is our focus. Enter, in verse 13, by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, there are many people who rightfully believe that this is applying to Christians and their walk with the Lord, and that that we're to walk the straight and narrow. And I, I won't disagree with that interpretation, but I believe that if you and I are honest tonight, we know that there is no way earthly possible to walk straight enough and focused enough and godly enough to enter that gate on our own. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that even our righteousness is as filthy rags. And that word for filthy can, can give this idea and meaning of cleaning up something. Something like a vomit or something disgusting. And, and that's the kind of rags that we would offer God as our righteousness. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I do not want to take a shower with a dirty towel. Makes sense, right? I like a clean towel. Now, in our house, with as many people as taking a shower, sometimes you do the best with what you got. But ideally, I want a clean towel. I don't want that 37 people have used. And, and a few years ago at, at uh, uh, one of the youth events here at church, and don't worry, I'm going to mention you, and you can be embarrassed if you want. I, uh, I went down to take a shower after working here all day on a youth project. There was a young man that was in the shower stall, and he said, hey, I forgot my towel. And I said, oh, it's not a problem. You can borrow mine. He said, I've got one up there by my bunk. You go get it. I said, not a problem. Left that towel and uh, went up those stairs and started to look where this young man's uh, area was. And I said, well, there's a, a wet towel, but that can't be the one he's talking about. And so not being creepy or anything like that, I start looking through his stuff, and I think, I don't see a clean towel. So I thought just out of a courtesy, I would take the wet one down there. And as I come down the stairs, I started to think, Jake, I think they pulled a fast one on you. As I get into the bathroom, this individual is wiping off everywhere with my good fresh towel. And I said, where's your clean towel? Oh, I don't have one. That was my dirty one. (laughs) So I did what all people did. I took a shower with a dirty towel. But ideally, we want to use a clean towel 
towel. Yes, it's wonderful. Be a pastor, they say. Volunteer with you, they say. I stay away from that building out there, and I hang out with you older people. So, but anyway, that's the idea. And friends, tonight I want you to be reminded on a regular basis that God always condemns self-righteousness. God always in the New Testament when he was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day when they thought they had arrived, when they thought they were so godly, when their outward appearance looked so good that he always told them what? You are fools. You're outwardly clean, but your inside is like dead bones. And so tonight I want you to know that salvation is always our focus. As an individual, I should be focused on the simple fact that God saved me by His grace and mercy. There was nothing I could do to earn it. There was nothing I could do to purchase it. I am saved by grace. And if you ever get to a point where you think, you know what, Lord, I'm really a blessing to the kingdom, just watch yourself. Because, friends, we never arrive this side of heaven. We're always going to sin. We're always going to struggle. The Bible even says that for those who say they have no sin, the Bible says they are a liar and the truth of God is not what? In them. You cannot be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and hold to the belief that you will never sin again. You say, Jake, I just don't agree with that. Well, just take it up with the writer of Scripture when you get there. But I hope that you get right before you do. Because, friends, you and I need to remember that Jesus is the narrow gate. Jesus is the narrow way. In John 14, verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are a lot of things that we can disagree to agree about in churches. We can disagree about a lot of things and still love each other and serve together and honor God together. But there is one thing that you cannot compromise above all else. And that is the exclusiveness of salvation through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Friends, there is not a Muslim way to heaven. There's not a a Buddhist way to heaven. There's not a good person way to heaven. There is no other way to be saved than going through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that used to be something we didn't shy away from, but now we do. We're worried about the fact that people won't understand, that they won't believe, that they won't understand. But you need to be reminded on a regular basis. You might love your children. You might love your grandchildren. You might love your neighbors and the people that you work with. But unless they trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, they are on their way to hell. That's all right. Two people agree with me, but so does the Bible, so I don't really care what you think tonight. Friends, we have to return to this belief that if people don't hear, if people don't believe, if people don't repent, if people don't turn, friends, there is no hope. Listen to what John 10 says in verses 7 through 10. Then Jesus said to them again, he's already said this previously, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus does not apologize for the understanding and teaching that he's the door, that he's the gate, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. And parents, if I could give you one piece of advice tonight, grandparents, if I could give you one piece of advice tonight, do all that you can to keep your children away from a school, from an organization, from dating someone that does not understand the central most important message in human history that Jesus Christ alone can save. You say, Jake, what does it matter if I send them to a liberal college? Friends, I'm telling you, them people will mess you up big time. You say, Jake, what about... What about if it doesn't matter where they work or who they hang out with? It all matters. Because friends, when you lose the belief that Jesus Christ is the narrow way, the only way, the gate that we all must go through, friends, nothing else matters. You can be moral. You can be conservative. You can vote the right way, look the right way, dress the right way, talk the right way, but if you do not have Jesus, friends, you have nothing. If you don't have a relationship with Him, a true, born-again, Spirit-filled life, friends, it's hopeless. Second thing I want to show you tonight from this passage of Scripture as we are walking through it, salvation is our focus, and salvation makes us servants to our master. Salvation makes us servants to our master. Look here in verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, I want to be very clear tonight. Just because you disagree with someone does not mean they are a false prophet. I think many times we are very careless when we throw around the fact that this person's a heretic. This person's a heretic. The Bible says we ought to have discernment and wisdom to know the truth from the lies. But friends, we need to understand that we can disagree and still love. We can disagree on many things and still love one another. We can disagree on many things and still both be in heaven today and someday. But I want to show you what it looks like to identify a false prophet. It says there that beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves or ravenous wolves, however you speak English. 
It says in verse 16, though, you will know them by their fruits. In Galatians chapter 5, we get a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are a lot of things that we judge our Christian walk on. How many times we go to church, how much money we get, how many times we voted the right way, how many times we stood on the picket line or whatever else it is. But the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God does something. He produces fruit. It's not fruit you can fake. It's not fruit that you can copy. It is something that God Himself and Him alone can do. And I want to show you this tonight because it doesn't matter if you think I dress the right way, preach the right way. It matters is there fruit in someone's life that can only be attributed to God. Look what it says there in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You say, friends, you can fake being a moral person. You can fake being a loyal husband. You can fake being a loyal church member. You can fake being a loyal conservative. It's not here in this text about what you don't have. It is about what you do produce. And tonight I want to challenge you. When you evaluate a minister like you should be evaluating me. Every sermon. Every opportunity that you get. There should be things like love. Love that does not base itself on whether or not you love me back. I'm going to love you whether you like it or not. I'm going to love you, and if you don't like it, I hope that God puts you right next to me in heaven. Now, that's a little vindictive, and so I'll have to repent for that. But joy, this understanding that joy comes from the Lord. Happiness comes from the happenings around you, but joy is something that comes from God. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. doesn't matter what other people say about you. don't matter what other people do to you. Joy comes from God because regardless of what this world can do to me, one, they can't take God away from me. They can't take the fact that I have a mansion being built for me in glory. And the fact that God's going to love me and take care of me regardless of the situation. Peace. What is real peace? That is regardless of the storms that are around me. I can trust the fact that God is in control of the storm. I don't know about you. I do okay with love. I kind of limp through joy. But peace... That's usually a fruit that's pretty scarce in my life. You say, Jake, I can't believe you said that. You probably feel the same way too. You're just not honest enough to say it. I have a tendency to worry. I have a tendency to fret over what people think of me, say about me, say about my wife. And so sometimes that peace is very, that's the wimpiest tree of the bunch. It's a little low-hanging fruit there. But I've been trying to tell God, Lord, just beat the me out of me. Lord, remind me every day, every moment that you're in control. Lord, give me peace that surpasses all understanding. Long-suffering. Now, I know what you're saying. You've got this one figured out. I don't believe we do. Long-suffering is this idea that we continue to forgive. 
to continue to give people another opportunity, another chance, like God does us. We don't write people off at their first mistake. We are willing to be long-suffering with one another. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that you cannot manifest on your own. You say, Jake, self-control is a hard one. You bet it is. And all of us have self-control issues in different areas. But as a Christian, I have to be willing to say, God, I need you to help me. Lord, I need you to produce in me the ability to say no to what I want. And Lord, give me the ability to say yes to what? What you want. You see, that's something you can't make up. You can't fake it. And so tonight I want you to know that if you're going to evaluate whether someone is a false prophet or they are the true thing, look to the fruit that is being produced. You see, Paul was dealing with this in the church when he wrote the letter of Philippians chapter 1. You see, there were some people that were preaching Jesus, the truth about Jesus, but for the wrong reason. And I want you to hear what Paul says about those individuals in Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambitions, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. You say, well, that don't make any sense. Paul says, as long as they're preaching Christ, they might be doing it for the wrong reason. They might be doing it with the wrong motives. I want Jesus Christ to be preached. Why do you think that is? I believe it is because this. On the day of judgment, God is going to sort them all out. God is going to know who are His and who are not His. But friends, I'm telling you what. Sinners get saved even when sinful men preach. Now, I believe you ought to be very careful who you sit under. I believe you ought to be very careful who you ordain. But be very careful when you disagree with someone over the minors who are preaching Jesus Christ. Third and final thing tonight, so that we don't lose our focus, comes from this simple fact that the master knows who are really his. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, that my six kids are mine. They look like me, they act like me, and we pray that, that uh, both of those things changes as they get older. Uh, but I can guarantee you something. I know those six kids are my wife's too. I was there for every single birth. Now, I don't understand why doctors ask you to cut the cord. I told them, I'm paying you a fortune to deliver this kid. Do your job, all right? I don't want no part of that. But it's that's neither here nor there. Right, And I know those are hers, and they're mine. And I want you to know something. Sometimes you might not know whether someone is truly saved. You might not know whether someone is really born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. But never think for a moment 
that someone has God fooled. God knows who are His. God knows those who are covered by His blood. And I want to read this to you in verses 21 through 23 tonight because there are some people who will try to convince God that He doesn't. Look what it says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, as good Baptists, we always make this statement. I don't judge. I just inspect the fruit. But friends, I want you to know that there are people who can fake fruit. There are people who can, will even be used by God to produce fruit that don't belong to Him. External works do not prove the salvation of your heart. Look what he says there. He says, we've prophesied in your name. Proclaimed the good word of the Lord. Now in the Old Testament you know that prophecy was something that God gave people about the future. In the New Testament, it is sometimes that, but it is mostly proclaiming the good news of God. Teaching the Word of God. Friends, you can teach Sunday school for 75 years and die and go to hell. You can stand right up here behind this desk and preach for decades and decades and decades and die and go to hell. Friends, there'll be preachers in hell. There'll be deacons in hell. There'll be Sunday school teachers in hell. There'll be music leaders in hell. What you do for God does not reflect the heart in you. Now these next two are pretty impressive. Because it says to cast out demons and do wonders in your name. Now, you know, I'm a Baptist. I've been a Baptist my whole life. I started out generally Baptist and the Lord corrected me, okay? Praise His good name. But uh, I love the generally Baptist too, okay? The free will Baptist. I love them. I love them all. But so when you start talking about casting out demons, most of us Baptists get a little squirmy in our seat, right? It's like, boy, I, know. I think he can. I think he does. I just don't really want to be a part of it, amen? You know, I've seen too many scary movies when I was lost. I don't want no part of some of that. But friends, these are people who God used to do miraculous works. Now, we don't know whether or not they truly happened or they're just claiming that they did. But either way, the people around them believed that they had the power of God. And Tonight, I want you to hear this. I can fake it, and you can fake it. Friends, tonight, you, will, you can make everyone believe that you're as sweet as sugar, that you're as fine as a frog here. But friends, there is going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And friends, on that great and terrifying day for the lost, there will be no arguing. There will be no explaining. There will be no debating. 
Friends, God will know if you are his or you are not. And tonight I want to challenge you. I don't care if you've been the nursery director as my wife is for a decade. Doesn't matter if you've been the vacation Bible school director. Don't matter if you've sang in the choir, which I think hopefully we and Jamie and I have been talking. We're getting close. Amen. And uh, it doesn't matter. Friends, when you stand before God someday, none of that will earn you a way into heaven. And friends, I really believe it. When Billy Graham said 25% of church members was saved or are saved, I pray that it's that high. I pray that it's that high. You're saying, Jake, tonight that 75% of us are not saved. No, I didn't say that. We'll just say most of them are in the General Baptist Church, okay? That's a joke. I've been picking on Methodists a lot here lately, so I'll, I'll discriminate against someone else. But friends, I want you to remember and listen to these words tonight. I might love you. Your church might love you. We, we had the joy of watching a couple join our church this morning and coming on our church rolls. But you can be on a church roll and not have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Many of you have that testimony. I made a profession of faith when I was a kid. But I got to be a little older and realized something. I was a member of a church, but not a member of the family of God. And tonight, I tell you what, one of the biggest blessings of my entire ministry, my entire ministry, was just about a year and a half ago, after a business meeting, a woman in her 80s, who had been a deacon's wife for decades, sat in my office and says, Every preacher I've ever had has tried to convince me that I'm saved. But I'm not. But I want to be. I'm not going to lie. And I might hurt something really bad when I do this. But I'm telling you what. I come out of my office so happy because I love that woman. Love that woman to death. But friends, she was going to split hell wide open. And her husband had an ordination license. She would have had a Sunday school pen if we still gave those out. Never miss Sunday morning, Sunday night. Friends, tonight I want you to hear this. You must be born again. You must be born again. And so friends, tonight I pray. I pray that I pray that I pray. Like Galatians 4 verse 9 says. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? God knows you if you're His. And tonight I pray that you know that you are His. I pray that. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm not trying to convince you you're lost. I'm not trying to create doubt, dates. I don't want no dates, trust me. I ain't got no doubts in your heart. But I want you to have an honest evaluation by the Spirit of God tonight. And I want you to say, I know that I've called upon the name of the Lord. I know that I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior.
And when I take my final breath, absent from the body is present with the Lord. I hope that I spend all of eternity with all of you. Now, I don't say that about everybody, but I, <laughs> I mean, I do hope they go, but I hope they sit somewhere far away sometimes. But, but friends, just imagine spending your whole life trying to convince everybody that you're saved and standing before Jesus someday and him saying, you're not one of mine. He said, Jake, I didn't think this, where this message was going to go. I didn't either. But tonight I do believe that if you're here tonight and you're lost, regardless of what you've told yourself, regardless of how many times you've been baptized, we got two baptisms next week, and I am praising the Lord for them. But if they come back in three or four years and say, Pastor, I'm, I was lost and I, I just got wet, but I'm ready to get saved. You know what we're going to do? We're going to lead them to Jesus and dunk them again. Because friends, don't wash yourself into heaven because it won't work. Now, I know I've sang this song many a times from this platform, and one more won't hurt me. But you can't get to heaven in the preacher's car because the preacher's car. Come on, you know it. I'll sing the whole 38 verses if you don't quit, right? But my favorite is, you can't get to heaven in a rocking chair. Because a rocking chair don't go nowhere. And for instance, I don't know what you're trusting in. Maybe your dad was a preacher, your uncle was a deacon, your mom was a saint from old. But unless you're born again, you cannot receive eternal life. And so tonight I pray, if there's any doubt, that you'll make it right tonight. And if you're lost here tonight, I'm going to be standing right there. And you come. Come tonight and give your heart and life to Jesus. If you would stand tonight with every head, closed, head bowed and eye closed. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know that I've not done it justice. But God, I pray tonight that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're convicting hearts. Lord, never let us be comfortable that people tithe and serve and look the part, but yet don't truly know you. Father, I pray that whatever pride is in our hearts tonight, whether it's that we're worried about other people thinking about us, we're worried about what other people are going to say about us, that tonight, Lord, that would all drift away and that we could just honestly say, Lord, I'm thankful that you've saved me. Or tonight, Lord, if there's someone here that says, Lord, I've been playing games for so many years. Tonight, I want to give my heart and life to you. Lord, maybe it's something totally different that these people need to pray about and seek your face. But Lord, I ask that you do what only you could do through your wonderful spirit to change lives. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.